fire hazard with all this, uh, these candles everywhere, but I've knocked over my water so many times tonight, I think we're pretty safe. <laughs> so I'd like to speak now uh, to you from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 16, which was uh, a part of the reading that Brian brought to us earlier on about the shepherds and the angels. Back in 1965, uh, America's NASA had launched two Gemini space uh, missions at the same time, unusually. They launched Gemini 6 and Gemini 7. And amazingly, this was actually the 21st time that man had been into space and everything was still quite new, but at the same time, everything was rapidly advancing. And the particular mission uh, here of these two spaceships was to be able to dock with each other in space or come within distance of docking. They actually got within half a foot of each other in space, which was a phenomenal achievement, uh, being able to engineer and steer the ships. And it was a, a, a test run to show NASA that they could actually do this on future missions. But then on December the 16th, the day before Gemini 6 was due to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, they suddenly made contact with Mission Control and reported seeing something in space, a potential UFO. They said, this is Gemini 6. We have an object. Looks like a satellite going from north to south in a polar orbit. Looks like he may be going to re-enter soon. You just might let me pick up that thing. I see a command module and eight smaller modules in front. The pilot of the command module is wearing a red suit. And after a few tense seconds in mission control, the penny finally dropped and the team on board Gemini 6 broke into uh, a rendition of jingle bells with a harmonica and some sleigh bells which they had smuggled on board uh, the spacecraft ready for this prank. And you can still see the instruments in the Smithsonian Space Museum in America and you can still hear the recording of it uh, if you look for it on YouTube. But you know, that experience was not actually the first time someone claimed to see a heavenly object uh, followed by music from space. Because the first such report didn't come from Gemini 6, it didn't come from NASA headquarters, it came from this place here. It came from the fields of Bethlehem, east of the city, the shepherd's field in the land of Israel. And there, a number of shepherds, we don't know how many, could have been two, could have been 200. We just know that the number is in plural. They said they saw an angel from heaven declaring the birth of Christ and singing God's praises. It was a remarkable event from the biblical point of view. You know, in the Bible, uh, God's angels are called messengers. It's interesting that the Bible is written in two major languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament uh, for the Jews and Greek in the New Testament after the coming of Alexander the Great. And uh, the word used for angels is uh, malek in Hebrew and angelos in Greek, and both words mean a messenger. And that's what an angel 
and strictly is. A heavenly messenger from God. One of God's servants sent to bring messages from him. And God uses his heavenly messengers at critical times in Jewish history. And we read about uh, the angels coming especially to Moses and being the mediators of the Ten Commandments in the book of Acts, Acts 7.53, and in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3.19. They were God's messengers on many occasions. But here... In Bethlehem, one in particular shows up and then he's followed by a a host, a heavenly host, a great number of angels. And that's actually a very strange thing because in the Bible, great numbers of angels are only seen three times. Only seen three times in the Old Testament. They're seen, first of all, in the days of Jacob in Genesis 32, when he's going to meet his uh, estranged brother Esau, and he's frightened about this, and he camps at a place, and he sees another camp in the distance, and it's a camp of angels, and God was saying, I'm with you, Jacob, I'm going to protect you. He called the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. That's the first time we see a group of angels in the Bible. The next time is in 2 Kings, chapter six when Elisha uh, is under threat of coming being attacked by the forces of Syria and they come to surround him and his servant is ever so worried and Elisha said don't be worried and he prayed God open his eyes and God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant and they saw all around in the mountains angels uh, in chariots of fire there to protect them and he said there's more with us than there are with them beautiful verse and the third time groups of angels are seen by men on earth is uh, when Isaiah the prophet goes to the temple to pray in the days of uh, King Uzziah's death and he sees the Lord on the throne and the angels the seraphim around the throne singing and praising God you know those are the only three times in the Bible in the Old Testament where groups are angels of angels are seen by men on earth and only one of those was a time when the angels were singing But here in Bethlehem's fields, we have another one of those amazing, rare occurrences with a group of angels that break into a worshipful song. And uh, the Puritan writer Richard Sibbs said this, there never was such an apparition of angels as at this time. And I think he's right. And I want us to see something about this today because Angels from the Realms of Glory uh, is not only one of our Christmas carols, but it's one of the great themes of Luke chapter 2. But as I want us to do so, I want us to see not only the angels, but I want us to see who they draw our attention to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one of the things about angels is they never want us to look at them. They always want us to look at their saviour. In his book on angels, Dr. David Jeremiah says this. He says, suppose you received a letter from a a favorite friend who was far away. What would you do with it first? Would you store it, stare at the stationery for hours to analyze it and admire it? Would you uh, obtain a chemical analysis of the link of the ink to learn exactly what it was made of? Would you investigate the paper, where it came from and how it was woven and cut? No, the paper and ink 
are simply the means of your friend's communication. What you're interested in is what your friend says and his message. The paper and ink fully serve their intended purpose by simply bringing the personal message to you. And David Jeremiah goes on and says the same logic applies in our approach to angels. Angels are just a means of communication from the God who communicates. Through what angels say and do, God personally expresses his friendship to us and his fatherhood and much more. What is important is the message the angels bring and not the messengers themselves. And that's exactly right. So keeping that in mind, I want us to see tonight three things about the angels from the realms of glory. I want to see their annunciation, that means their announcement, their adoration, and their activation. Those are the three things from this passage. First of all, their annunciation, which is uh, the subject of verses 8 through to 12. In her book, Angels... Uh, Hope Price records the words of Captain Cecil Haywood, who was a World War I captain in the British Army in Mons in France, and who personally saw angels on the battlefield, as many others actually reported. And you can see this uh, online uh, in abundance. Apparently, the firing on both sides stopped And in his words, four or five wonderful beings much bigger than men appeared and stood between themselves and the Germans. They wore white robes and seemed to float rather than stand. And they had their backs to the British and their arms outstretched towards the Germans. And according to the book... At that moment, the horses ridden by German cavalrymen became terrified and stampeded off in every direction. Well, I'm not surprised because, you see, angels are terrifying to human beings when they appear, and apparently to horses too, because they are mighty, majestic beings from heaven. And when the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around, as it says in the Christmas carol, the poor old shepherds were absolutely terrified. John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, we can hardly even imagine what startled, frightened feelings the shepherds had when suddenly, with no warning whatsoever, the highest of all created beings showed up in blazing glory. Similarly, Alfred Edersheim, the Bible scholar, said, Heaven and earth seemed to mingle as suddenly an angel stood before their dazzled eyes. These tough outdoor shepherds of Bethlehem, who were brave enough to do the night watch out in the fields with the wild animals and and the uh, the thieves who would come and steal the sheep, these brave men, when they saw the angels, were, as the Bible says, terrified. And also, all the more so, because the angels were up close and personal. One of the things I do when I'm doing my Bible study is I like to see how historical Bible translations have translated the Greek uh, manuscripts of the New Testament. And one of our oldest English versions is the Wycliffe translation by John Wycliffe. And he translates this verse like this. He says, Lo, the angel of the Lord stood beside them. And Tyndale, William Tyndale, who uh, was the, the father of the English Bible, as we call it, he wrote, 
the angel of the Lord stood hard by them. It was like, well, where do you come from? You know, one of those sort of experiences. It wasn't just like over there somewhere hazily in the distance. The angel of the Lord came and stood right by them. No wonder Young's literal translation says they feared a great fear. This was a close encounter of a heavenly kind. But you know, they didn't need to be frightened, did they? Because the angel said in verse 10, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, the angel hadn't come to annihilate them. He had come to announce to them the good news from God. And not just for them only, but for all the people. You say, John, who are the people here? Well, in the immediate context, it's the people of Israel. That's the view of uh, J.C. Ryle, Matthew Henry, Elcott, the New Bible Commentary, and other Bible commentators. And I think it's right, because the gospel in the Bible is for the Jew first, and then for the Gentiles, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And if you look, actually, in the use of the phrase, the people, in the Bible, it's always used of the people of Israel. And the Gentile nations are called the, uh, the nations. Acts, two, sorry, Acts 4 and Psalm 2 being a case in point. But ultimately, friends, it is for all mankind, all the people of all the world. Uh, it came to the Jews first, but then afterwards to all the people, as we see later on in the Song of Simeon, later on in chapter 2. Because as we see in verse 11, what they were announcing was wonderful news that all of us need to hear. They said in verse 11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now you'll notice their message actually dealt with three words. It's centred around three words. Saviour, Christ and Lord. And they all refer, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word saviour means a rescuer. The Greek word sotia means a deliverer or a rescuer. And it's interesting, at this time in history, Caesar Augustus, who was on the throne, was stylizing himself as the saviour of the world. We have found inscriptions in archaeology that said that Caesar Augustus, the divine Augustus, was the, uh, the benefactor and saviour of the world. And that was because of their view that the Pax Romana, the Roman peace which military had brought to the world, was saving the world from conflict. But you know, whilst Caesar could perhaps help keep some peace with his armies everywhere, he couldn't bring peace to troubled consciences. And he couldn't bring peace between men and God. And so a real saviour was needed. One who could bring peace where we need it most. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ had to come. He was the one who through his death on the cross would bring peace between men and God. You see, friends, the difference between angels and us is this. The holy angels are still in the estate which they were created in. They are still holy beings. But you and I are not. You and I are not. 
We were created. Mankind was created holy. But Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And just like if you pollute a river at the fountainhead, the whole river becomes polluted. So the whole human race has become corrupted by Adam's sin. And as a result of that, not only do we have inherited sin from Adam, but we have sin of our own. You know, I have to admit to you, I'm a sinner by birth, but I'm also a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. And so are you. We all do things that are wrong. If you doubt that, ask yourself, have you always been the victim and never the perpetrator? I've never met anybody who could say yes to that. We've all done things that are wrong. And we've all broken God's holy laws. We've told lies. uh, We've we've broken the Ten Commandments, taken God's name in vain. Every time you say, say, oh my, you're breaking the commandment, which says you shall not take the Lord's name in in vain. And none of us have succeeded in putting God first in our lives so that we can say we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. We're all sinners. And therefore, we all need a saviour. And sin is something very serious, which God will deal with very seriously if we're not saved by it. God has placed, uh, created a place of righteous judgment called hell, which is where sinners will be punished for their sins and where they deserve to go. But here's the good news. A saviour has been born to you today. <laughs> the Lord Jesus came to rescue us from going there. And he did that by his death on the cross. And you know what? That's what Christmas is about. It's not ultimately about the tinsel, the turkey, the traditions, the trimmings. Ultimately, it's about the truth. It's about Christ coming to be our saviour. God has sent us a saviour. So we don't have to go to hell if we don't want to. One poet put it like this, said, We are wont to sing of shepherds and the heavenly glory bright, of angels and their message on that peaceful holy night. But so oft we end the story when it's only just begun, for we fail to give the message that this child is God the Son, here to give himself a ransom, crucified on Calvary's tree, through his blood providing a pardon, perfect cleansing, full and free. And the tomb, thank God it's empty. Jesus sits now at God's right hand. Now a loving, mighty saviour, spread the news to every land. (laughs) That's wonderful news. A saviour has come. And that's just what you and I need. I want to ask, is he your saviour? Have you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? If, If you haven't, you're not yet a Christian. You see, a Christian is not, yet, is not someone who's been christened or baptized or confirmed or goes to church or comes to a carol service or watches songs of praise or anything like that. A Christian is someone who's asked the Lord Jesus to be their rescuer, their savior, and put their trust in what he did on the cross. In the words of the Lord Jesus himself, in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, repent and believe the good news. That's what we we must do. We must ask God to forgive us for the things we've done and trust Jesus' death on that cross will save us. Go to God and pray if you haven't done done that yet and seek him for that salvation. But their message also included the word Christ, which means the promised Jewish king, or to use a Hebrew word, the Messiah. 
One of our Christmas carols says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And that's just what the Messiah was. He was the promised king, the one who, who had fulfilled all the prophecies of the past, like we were talking to the children about the prophecy about where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he came to be God's king on earth. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is. Hence his surname. (laughs) It's not actually his surname, it's his title. It's like Julius Caesar. When we say Jesus Christ, we're declaring that he is the Messiah. And this is what the Jewish people had been waiting for. And you know, I want to say this, dear friends, there's a lot of talk at the moment, especially among the Jewish people, about the Messiah coming. And certain Jewish rabbis are being hailed today by the Israeli community as being, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? But you know what? If you look in the prophecies of the Bible, at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the second temple. And that's Jesus. He's the Messiah who came before the Jews' temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. It's not these rabbis or anybody else today. So don't put your trust in a politician. Don't put your trust in a guru or a holy man. Put your trust in Jesus. The good news is we don't need to guess anymore. It's Jesus Christ. And the third word in their message was Lord. And that comes from the Greek word kurios. And make no mistake about it, kurios is a divine title. Uh, it's the same phrase that's used earlier on when it talks about the angel of the Lord, the angel of God. And the glory of the Lord, kurios, that shone around, God's glory shone around. And Jesus Christ is God. And this is again the good news of the angel's annunciation. God has come to his people. It's a wonderful thing. Now, I'm going to tell you that some people don't like to hear that. You know, our Christmas carols are being changed without us realizing it. You know, two Christmas carols have been changed in popular culture. Away in a manger has now been changed to say the baby boy Jesus lays down his sweet head. But if you look in the original, it doesn't say the baby boy Jesus. It says the little Lord Jesus. He's Lord. He's God in a body. And joy to the world, that's been changed. Joy to the world, the peace has come. It's not the peace has come, it's the Lord has come. The Lord has come. And Jesus is God in a human body. And that's wonderful. You know what? All of man's efforts in the past over the years have been man religiously trying to get through to God. Trying to climb up to God. And we've never achieved it. But here's the good news. At Bethlehem, the angels announced, God has come down to you. He's come to you to make a way back to himself. So the good news has gone out that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Christ the Lord. But the shocker was that the angels went on to say he had come in such humility. Because in verse 11, the angel says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know, back in the 1930s, one of the royal families of Europe gave birth to a child and received a cot that was worth £75,000. It was made of gold and it was encrusted with beautiful jewels all the way around it. 
Now, something like that was what Jesus was worthy of. But you know that he never received anything like that. Instead, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. What are swaddling cloths? Do you know what swaddling cloths are? Swaddling cloths are burial cloths. When people went on a journey, a long journey, they had to to take into account the, 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 the possibility they may not survive. And you didn't have an undertaker to call on in those days. You had to be ready to bury your, your, yourself, <laughs> bury, bury your loved ones if they died. And so Joseph and Mary would have bought swaddling cloths with them. But when the baby was born, they used those cloths to wrap the child. And they laid him in a manger. What a strange burial. And that's, what a strange, um, uh, strange a bed for, for, for the saviour and what a strange blanket and this was why it was a sign to the, angel, uh, to the shepherds they said this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger it was most unusual but it was most prophetic of the saviour who was going to later on die on the cross and be laid in the tomb wrapped in blankets. In fact, if you do a comparison with the resurrection of Jesus, you'll see that there's a number of parallels between that and this story. In both accounts, the angels appear to people who are considered outsiders in the chief sort of religious circles. Shepherds were considered outsiders because they couldn't keep the rituals of the law. They couldn't keep the Sabbath because they were looking after the sheep. They couldn't uh, go through all the ceremonial washings. And similarly, ladies, because of childbirth, were also considered that way by groups like the Pharisees. But these were the ones the angels appeared to. Not only that, but they told them, both groups, where Christ was laid. The angels told the shepherds where he was laid. They told the women, after Jesus had died on the cross, where he was laid. Come and see the place where he was laid. In both cases, the people went, and in both cases, the cloths were a sign. Not only to the shepherds, but when they saw the burial clothes of Jesus folded without him in him, they knew he had risen from the dead. <laughs> so, what an amazing thing. No wonder the Apostle Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, that's the name Saviour, the Lord saves, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Acts 2.36. All those same names that the angels used for the Lord Jesus. He got the message of the angels and so did all the people that day. You know our late queen who died this year, in her 2011 Christmas speech, she said this, it is my prayer that on this Christmas day we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. And I can say amen to that. What an amazing message the angels brought. But then secondly, and uh, that's the biggest part of the sermon, so don't worry. The second thing is the adoration of the angels in verses 13 to 14. 
You know, the largest group of carol singers on record was not in Coombe Down. I'm sorry to let you know that. It was at a place called Bob Jones University in South Carolina, where on the 3rd of December 2004, 7,514 people came together to sing Christmas carols. I bet it sounded amazing. I'd have loved to have heard them belt out uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, wouldn't you? Uh, the only singer in my family was a sewing machine. So uh, uh, I, I love good singing. But you know what? Even that was nothing compared to the angels who appeared with the first angel over the Bethlehem fields. Bible translator J.B. Phillips paraphrased it in these words. He said, in a flash, there appeared with the angel a vast host of the armies of heaven praising God. What an amazing thing. How did that come to be? Where did these other angels come from? A famous uh, Baptist preacher by the names of Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the Victorian era, he, he thought it out in his mind and he said this. He said, These angels, they could not stay behind. The news spread through heaven that an angel had gone to announce the birth of Christ and the others flew through the pearly gates and hastened to overtake the herald and reached him just as he concluded his message. (laughs) So they burst into the song and said at the end, I love that. But they broke into worship for the Lord Jesus Christ and they brought a threefold song. Now, by the way, you're getting to see here, there's threes all the way through. Have you ever wondered how we got to know this story? Because those shepherds weren't alive by the time Luke wrote this story. They got it from, Luke got it from Mary. We know Mary was one of his sources. Where did Mary get it? Mary got it from the shepherds. How was she able to retain all that? Because everything comes in threes. Savior. Christ, Lord, baby, manger, swaddling cloths, and the song comes in threes as well. You see, it's memorable, and it helped her remember what they'd said. Glory to God in the highest, they said, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. A threefold song of praise. And that's so interesting to me. You know what? When the sacrifices were being offered in the temple in Jerusalem, which was just seven miles away from Bethlehem, whenever a a sacrifice was laid on the altar, the priests would blow three trumpets and there would be a threefold praise go up to God. Well, here, the sacrifice of all sacrifices had been laid in the manger he'd come to earth. And a threefold praise to God was offered from these angels. Like also that threefold praise of the angels, holy, 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 in the book of Isaiah. And it's been pointed out that this praise comes like the gospel message, the good news itself, down from heaven to earth. It starts off with glory to God in the highest, and then it comes down to peace to men, on whom his favour rests. That's like the message of the good news. And what is this angel's song? It's a song, first of all, of glory and praise to God for sending a saviour. You know, ultimately, that's why the Lord Jesus came, to bring glory to God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher uh, in the war years, and used to come to Coombe Down, 
for his holiday and sometimes preached in this little chapel. He said this, the moment salvation is mentioned, it is the glory of God that is most prominent. As the chief element in our sin is that we do not give God the glory due to his name. So the chief thing about salvation should be that it brings a restoration of the glory of God. And that's right. The angels sang glory to God in the highest. God was to be praised for sending his son. And then secondly, they said peace on earth to men. Now, some people always point that out and go, ah, well, there you go, you see. That proves Christianity isn't true. Because they all said peace to earth, and there's been no peace. There's been nothing but war ever since. But this was not world peace God was talking about. It was peace between man and God. When Jesus becomes our saviour, God is no longer angry at our sin. And there is peace between God and and man. And that's why it says peace on earth on whom his favour rests. On whom God's grace that's what the word favour means rests. So if you want to know God's peace this Christmas put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to bring that peace through his death on the cross. The angels got it right in their song of worship and their praise to God as well. You know, when we were at a missionary conference once, Heather and I saw some amazing videos of missionaries interviewing people from jungle tribes in Papua New Guinea. And people who had never been reached by the outside world before had been brought the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. These people who used to be murderers, they used to be cannibals, they used to be spirit worshippers. Terrible evil used to happen in these tribes. But when the gospel went in, people were becoming Christians and they were saved and their lives were changed. And I'll never forget, I wrote this down, one lady from a, a, a tribe called the Gendi tribe in Papua New Guinea. When she heard the gospel, this is how she put it. She said, I heard this talk, the angel of the message, the message of the angels. I heard this talk and now my insides are sleeping. Isn't that just a beautiful way of describing the peace God brings? Do you want that type of peace? Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to bring that mercy to men. And the third thing we see here was the angel's activation. Because what happened afterwards was a, a sign that the angel's message had been received. In verse 15 it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger do you know in uh, Venezuela on Christmas Eve all the people go to church on roller skates it's a true thing. You, you can look it up and uh, the, the streets are full of holy rollers, literally. <laughs> and uh, they, they go to, to, to church on roller skates so they can get home quickly afterwards to get to bed and uh, get to sleep ready for Christmas. Well, do you know what? In my mind's eye, I just see something of that same eagerness in the shepherds after they heard the news about the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, let's go. Let's go and see what God has told us 
about. And it says they made haste. They hurried off to go and find the Lord Jesus. And they found him. And the Greek word for find in verse 16 means that they found him after a search. They had to give a little bit of searching, looking for him. Uh, after uh, they were entered into Bethlehem. But they found him. And they brought him their worship as they went to see him. You know what? That was what the angel's message was all about. It wasn't just so the shepherds could sit back and say to each other, Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, there's a baby born. Oh, it's lovely. It was meant to kick them into action. And say, look, he's born. Go to him. And you know what? That's what the angel's message is still designed to do. That's why we're sharing it tonight. The angel's message still is ringing out from the pages of scripture. And God is saying, my son is the saviour. He's Christ the Lord. He's the one who can give you peace. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him in prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. I need a saviour. I need you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord. And if you go to him, he will hear your prayer. And he will give you his peace and his grace. I hope this will encourage you to to think not only about the angels, but about the saviour they came to honour as well. Glory to God. We're going to 